0: I'm James Norton,
1: and I'm Tina Graziano,
0: and this is Homeland Homeroom, the show where we overcame our partisan differences to discuss the latest security news, talk to people making the news and answer your questions.
1: Today, we're talking about a non-controversial issue, immigration. This has been an increasingly provocative issue everywhere from the White House to the dining room tables across America.
0: And we both actually have some unique perspectives on this issue, actually having worked on this back in the Bush administration time, me uh, with the administration and Dina on the Hill, when it seems like back to the future a little bit where you have kind of the same issues, you know, more border agents, more, you know, maybe a wall or, or something like that or enforcement and those kind of things. So but alliances have shifted a little bit when it comes to immigration nowadays.
1: That's true. And joining us today to talk about some of this very exciting immigration rhetoric coming from the very top, the White House, we're joined by Heather Timmons, Courts' first White House correspondent. Welcome, Heather. Hi, how are you? Great.
0: Heather, we are really fortunate to have you here and really appreciate your time. So thank you for joining us. Um, You know, since you're at the White House and you have, you know, a ton of experience, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background and, you know, kind of how you... Came um,
2: I, I moved back to the U.S. to cover this administration after being overseas for 14 years. Um, I was a business reporter in London and India for the New York Times for 10 years, and then uh, moved to Hong Kong where I joined Quartz, which was a, a startup. It's part of Atlantic Media. They publish the Atlantic Magazine. We were started a few years ago, and we essentially write about globalization. I mean, sort of everything that this administration is against in a funny way. And it's about the movement of goods and people and how we are much more connected now than we were 10 or 15 years ago, just as people. Absolutely. Well, you must be very busy. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> Every single day. Yeah.
0: You know, obviously, Donald Trump campaigned pretty hard on the, on the wall. So immigration was a centerpiece of his campaign. And then, you know, it seems like he's been Managing homeland security and the immigration issues kind of out of the West Wing, uh, which is a little bit different than we've seen from past presidents. You know, what's kind of your take having covered, um, you know, the White House and, and DHS in the last uh, 18 months?
2: Well, it, it definitely feels like, although he hasn't gotten the money to build an actual wall, the administration is building a virtual wall, whether it's cutting out the protected um, classes of people that have been here for decades, or it is just making it more difficult for people to seek asylum, or it is just making the bureaucracy more difficult. I've been talking to immigration lawyers who say things like, you know, I try to get through to the lawyer line for a client, and I, I'm on hold for 40 minutes, and then I get cut off. You know what I mean? Like, it's just this this virtual wall that is really trying to stop people from coming into the country. And, and you know, from somebody from a business reporter perspective like mine... Immigration is one of the things that's helped our economy grow over decades and helped the U.S. become really good at so many different things and it does. And so we're trying to sort of suss out how damaging
1: that is down the line and what the economic consequences of this are as well. Agreed. Um, one question I would ask is um, how do you think that what, what role does the Department of Justice have in this debate? Um, we obviously saw. Uh, Attorney General Sessions and rule against the domestic violence victims. Now they don't qualify for asylum. What What do you think about that? And what kind of message is that sending as a as a nation?
2: I mean, again, this feels like this is sort of part and parcel of the original Trump campaign platform, which is us us Americans who are already here versus everyone else. And that is, and you know, I talked to. Republican strategist recently just about his his rally in Tennessee where he was really ramping up the animal stuff about the MS-13 gangs and it really was like, it just felt incendiary. It felt almost dangerous to me and I talked to the strategist about it and he said we are going to pour gasoline on it for the next few months in the run into the midterms because that's how we're going to get the base out because people don't really vote for midterms. You know, frankly. I mean, you know, they will in a hotly contested maybe, whatever. but But they don't turn up like they do for presidential elections and a lot of Trump's presidential win had to do with people that hadn't voted in a long time. And so they just want to make sure that they're firing those folks up. So I feel like, you know, some of this may be that. Sessions also has talked a lot about the rule of law and and what he did say about asylum seekers. I mean, there there is no law that you as a, uh, as a victim of domestic violence actually should. You are not really a protected class by the traditional definition of the law. But it had been expanded in recent years, and it had been interpreted, and there had been different rulings. And so he's just sort of narrowing that interpretation again.
1: Well, you speak about um, the midterms. I mean, do you think the other side may come out, you know, the Democrats? This might actually bring people out who care about these issues, you know, and kind of try to throw gasoline on the other side? Um,
2: people are trying to. I mean, I, I, you know, in my talking to people that are um, consultants for the Democrats, I was just talking to one last night, the big thing is just sort of a vacuum of cohesive message and a vacuum of cohesive leader. I think there's there's a lot of great people, you know, entering different races, brand new politicians that are coming in. But there's no from the top, you know, there's no there's no sort of direction from the top saying let's all move here. And I, you've probably seen this sort of Pelosi-Schumer what's their slogan? It's something like, you know, like, this could be better or something. You know, it's really understated. Like, you know, we could make this maybe a little better if we try hard together. You know, it's like this really leaden slogan that you're like, wow, that's not inspiring. But don't
0: you think, I mean, you know, one of the things Donald Trump, Donald Trump very much campaigned as an outsider, right? I'm outside DC. Not only was he an outsider from DC, he was, you know, a non-politician and he, he had this platform and, you know, he, he had a very simplistic message when it came to immigration and this was, I'm going to build a wall, right? right. And it's going to be a, a big wall with, you know, the most beautiful wall you've ever seen, right? We heard all about that. But, you know, now he's been in office for, for 18 months, maybe, you know, a little, bit lower, a little bit more a little bit less. But, you know, he has yet to get any funding for the wall, you know? And so you could almost make the argument that he hasn't been successful in terms of, you know, working in D.C. and making government go. Because I feel like a lot of people that voted for Trump were very much... Uh, upset with the government because the government wasn't moving, right? The perception was that bills weren't passing and Congress wasn't working well. So do you think, you know, do you think that's going to come back and bite him in the midterms where people say, you know what, we try to work with you, but you're really not making it happen either. You haven't really kept your promise on the wall.
1: So do you think they you don't show that? up or they vote Democratic. I I, yeah. I mean, how
2: how many people do you know that have voted Republican their whole life that switch? Like, you know, I, I feel like people either for the presidential. Uh, I mean, for local elections, yeah. do they? I don't, I don't know. I feel like you. I feel like you grow up and vote for one party, and it's it's really rare for you to switch. Maybe you stay home. I don't know. I, I it's it's hard to say how that gets spun. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I think a lot of a, a lot of what's interesting to me right now about the way that Trump is going about his presidency is how he's using you know, messaging. I mean, we can call it propaganda because very often what they're saying isn't accurate. It's not true, but it is messaging and it is still reaching the same people that he reached before. And many of them believe it. You know, I mean, we just, we wrote tons on trade recently and we wrote a lot about tariffs in Canada. And I get hate mail from Trump voters about tariffs on Canada. And I was like, this is, I'm quoting the US Chamber of Commerce here. You know what I mean? Like I'm not writing an anti-Trump diatribe about, how much trade tariffs suck? It's like a real dry, cut and dried business thing. If you put tariffs on this, these people are going to lose jobs. This has been done before. We know how this works out, and and so I, I think it depends. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really long answer to your question. But sure, I think it depends on the on,
1: on how well they can message their way around getting the wall built. Yeah, you know, but don't you feel like so? obviously a lot of these immigration policies are. Um, Disappointing would be too light of a term. Um, it's very sad, I think, f- to to hear about this as as an American. And I feel like there are a lot of Republicans out there who voted for Trump because he was a Republican, because they want to stick with the party line. But a lot of the educated Republicans I know are almost disgusted now at the way you know the pendulum has shifted on these social issues. And I don't. I'm, I'm hopeful. That you know, people can try to vote their conscience and say like, "We this is not what we stand for as a com- as a country," and, and I'm you know I'm embarrassed and like I've said to James a couple of times, you can't wash, you can't wash that off. I mean, this this is it's pretty bad. I'm a little concerned as a citizen, you know, like where where are the Charlie Dens, the Corkers, the Flakes that are going to run again? Where where are they?
2: I, well, I mean, because I guess <laughs> I think in the in the primaries, we're seeing yep. that some of them are getting shut down. You know, some of the people that, that sort of have been openly critical of him <laughs> are going to get are getting shut down in the primaries. So,
1: yeah. Hmm.
0: What about some of your friends, Dina, on the on the Democratic side? I mean, are they do you think they're going to be willing to come what to the table doing? at this point? I mean, <laughs> we're getting closer and closer to the election. And obviously, immigration is a core issue of the election. Do you see them willing to make a deal before the election or do you think they're better off holding out to say, you know, let's let's buy time and see if we win?
1: Wow, that's, you know, let me go get that crystal ball that I shattered (laughs) um, at the presidential. Um, You know, I I think it's almost better. I I would think they would hold off. I think it 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 works for voters that, you know, there is this obstructionist policy. There are these young people that, you know, a lot of them obviously were were out there pounding the pavement that this is wrong. Um, I think. If the Democrats have a solid message, we could win that group. But I don't know if that's by saying the Republicans aren't doing anything or just kind of pushing forward. I, I, it's a really tough it's a tough time because we don't have the power. So, I mean, what can we keep saying is vote for us because we're not them and we're not doing all of these bad things. And we are for this. And if we win, we will address these things it's hard to say you know i i'll, I'll check with nancy and chuck <laughs> next time we have lunch but um
2: it's it, the the policy of separating children and parents though has been just so from a pr point of view mm-hmm. like let's just remove it. you know it's morally reprehensible and let's just put it over here in a box but just from a public relations point of view it seems to me so misguided because even those folks that are like mm-hmm. you're you know trump or nobody else voters like even they, even they are finding this repugnant sometimes right. when I'm talking to some of them. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it is just such an extreme and such an ugly thing. Right.
0: Yeah, no, certainly I think, you know, from Heather's point, I mean, certainly the PR from this policy has not gone well. I think that it's an, it's an unproven policy in the sense that, if we get the message out there, we're going to separate kids, and people will stop coming here, which is, you know, what the administration seems to be banking on. But at the same time, it's not working for them no. uh, in terms of no, and it hasn't worked in the, in the past. Yeah.
2: I was I was talking to a, a former ICE official, and you know, this was kind of tried mm-hmm. years ago, and they um, tried to send the message, you know, don't come, don't come, we're not going to allow you, don't come, and it just doesn't. Work and right. I, I don't. There, there's you know. And we sort of have now years of history of things that don't work in terms of our immigration right. policy. <laughs> and you would think there could be some sort of collective, you know, <clears throat> bipartisan knowledge sharing where we could be like, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. What do we do? You know, there are a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. or something in the system right now. Some some incredible number. Not counting the people that are waiting for immigration decisions. But um, you know, what what do we do with that? That is a problem. It is a it is a security problem. It is a resources problem and all of those things, but we just can't seem to figure it out because it is so politically yeah, everyone's digging
1: in on either side. It's, right. It's well right. look
0: at the look at the National Guard, right? The National Guard was a big uh thing in the Bush administration. It was called Operation Jumpstart back in the day. And this is right. when we had, you know, eight or nine thousand border patrol agents. Now we have twenty five thousand, but you know, they thought they'd send all these guard people down there. And you even had people like Napolitano, who was a you know Democratic governor of the time supporting it and you know, they came, they they pulled them all home and got enough agents, and, and now we're sending, you know, National Guard agents back to the border. But yet we haven't really heard anything about it, right? We had this big announcement two months ago of sending these National Guard troops down there, and we're spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sending them down there to support them. But, you know, kind of what is the result of that? You know, what are the metrics? You know, what have they really done to, uh, you know, either supplement what the uh, Border Patrol is doing or, you know, should we, you know, pull them back and, and go in a different direction? It just doesn't seem to be... Seems like more of a band-aid than a than a than a solution, right?
2: Yeah. And and again we sort of know whether this works or not. Right. We've seen it happen before. We've spent the money before. Right. It's mm-hmm. not and and talking again to this Ice guy, you know, he, he said this is such a political agency that, and he had been working for them for decades, you know, and before they were Iron S, but um, such a political agency that every time the president changes, what we need to do swings. Right. <clears throat> and all we want, because we're sort of, you know, some of them are law enforcement sure. guys, and yeah. some of them are just studied, um, you know, law, maybe in school. They want rules. They want right. some rules, and they want to be able to follow the rules, and they want to not get in trouble, and that's what they want. You know, he was like, we don't actually want discretion when we are deciding to detain somebody or not. Right. I don't I don't want to be responsible for them if they go and commit a crime later on. I want someone to tell me the rules. The rules are you detain them and right. this happens and this is what happens and you're not responsible six months from now if they have a DUI. So I which I which I found really, you know, a compelling argument. Yeah, and they find themselves Pulled with this administration over to really heavy detention, and they found themselves in the last administration given so much discretion that they were uncomfortable with it. So, right. so for those guys, you know, that are just like, well, we do have a job to do, they're also getting a really mixed message.
0: Well, what about something like uh, temporary worker visas for the summer? Right, that seems to be a big issue. The Homeland Security Secretary has gotten these questions multiple times in the last couple of months. You know, when are you going to give us the number of visas we've mm-hmm. got? you know, crab workers in Maryland or people in Massachusetts or people in other other states that, you know, have this desperate need for for kind of summer workforce. Wouldn't it be easier if if Congress just said, and it's, it seems like a very bipartisan thing, by the way, that Congress just said, hey, you know what, here's the number, it's going to be a 100,000 a year or whatever it might be, and, and that's it, and we're done. Why do they keep kind of letting this thing roll through year after year, even, even though it seems like this is one particular issue that size I, we
1: agree. On. Yeah. 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 And but I, I think it goes back to if you're let's solve the whole and you know, you have those those worker mm-hmm. visas, but then you have the tech community saying, Hey, we need more H one Bs, we need more skilled workers. Why are you gonna just deal with this subset when we need all of this? This will deal with a lot of the other problems. I think yep. you've got factions coming in from every way. And if you take the piecemeal approach, people think, okay, then we're not going to deal with the whole.
0: What about, I mean, Heather, you you obviously spent a lot of time overseas covering, you know, global issues. You had a chance to kind of listen firsthand in terms of what the world thinks about the U.S. and what's going on. You, You were there for obviously the Obama presidency. I don't know if you were there for part of the Trump election or not, but and I was there for the Trump election. You were over there. For and the Trump I, election.
2: I was I was overseas for George W. Bush's second term. Okay. Too, when he got reelected, and I, I was in London then, and you know, no one could believe it happened. but
1: It happened. Yeah. Right. Was it more unbelievable this time? Uh, I, oh yeah, it was much more unbelievable <laughs> yeah. this time. I think
2: that time, you know, everyone was like, oh, "These Americans, I just don't yeah. understand right. what they're doing." You know, all the Brits were kind of sighing, and now, yeah, this now time, they miss George <laughs> Bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Who right. would <laughs> ever think? Yeah. Right. right. Um, I. I th- think that there is especially you know I spent a lot of time in India we have such a history of immigration coming from India and especially wealthy successful people who build lives and generations and families here and also from Hong Kong and from China but you know and definitely from Hong Kong it was a huge huge immigration there was a concern and and this gets right to immigration, what we're talking about, there was a concern with his messaging and the messaging we're seeing now that that America was sort of selling out the Mm -hmm. very idea that everybody loved about America, the very thing that they thought was what it was supposed to be about, you know, sort of this disappointment that you are, but but you're supposed to be where we can all land and we can all do well, you know, and that's the point. Isn't that the point? And if that's not the point, then what's the point? And And I feel like, this is a conversation we as Americans are all having, yeah. really, a little bit. You know. And when, you, and when I try to talk to someone who's decided that they're going to s- support Trump no matter what the facts are around it, you know? and I do have those conversations as often as I can, trying to figure out how we breach and I breach and everyone breaches that divide on immigration and on everything else, I feel like is, a, is just like this fundamental American question that I, I, don't, I don't know what, but we have to figure out a way to answer it.
0: I mean, what about what about, um, you know, there was a discharge petition movement by, you know, Will Hurd and some other kind of younger members on the Hill. And they seem to be disagreeing with their party on on immigration and wanting to find a solution in DACA. And it seems to be kind of a little bit of a movement, a small one, but a little bit of a movement in terms of trying to create a message for the GOP in terms of, hey, we can solve these issues. We're not all aligned with, you know, the, the Trump administration and we have some different views on it. It seems like Paul Ryan, even in one of his last acts, is trying to find some sort of solution so the GOP doesn't kind of explode from within, which it seems like it's happening a little bit. I mean, do you think the House is going to be able to come up with, number one, a vote that might likely pass? And if it does pass, do you think the White House will get behind it or the Senate will take something up? I mean, where do you think this kind of goes? This is kind of an early sprinkling of a possible deal. But we, we know that we've been there before and it hasn't really happened. I mean, can the House actually pull this off? Can the moderates in the GOP pull this off in terms of an immigration DACA ideal?
2: I, I mean, I think if it doesn't have the sort of the the money and the four pillars and all of those things in it, there's just no uh, there's no way. I mean, that, yep. yeah, we, just the money was there before. There was a bill with the 25 billion in it, you know, and 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 it got turned down. So I just I don't I don't see what compromise they're gonna come up with before the midterms anyway. I hate to keep coming back to the election, I know, but I feel like this I, is the direction I, that everything is I agree. moving towards, That's, and this yep. summer is just going to be ugly, and we're all going to fight with each other, and
1: welcome to we're going to get nothing you know? done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> nothing will get done it's again. Just
2: what it feels like is going to happen. So.
0: So we're getting the signal a little bit over here. So any final thoughts, Dina, Heather, just kind of on where you No, get, this you're has been go, this or... has been
1: super informative, and I'm so glad you were able to join us. I feel like I've learned a lot, frankly. Oh, thank you, guys. That <laughs> yeah, was really great. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, absolutely.
0: A lot going on, certainly, with immigration and not going away anytime soon. So more to talk about. Hopefully you'll come back and, uh, and join absolutely. us again. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you again. <laughs> Heather Timmons, White House Correspondent for Courts. Heather, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you.
1: back and you're listening to Homeland Homeroom, the podcast where we dive into the latest security news, talk to the people who make the news and answer your questions about how security impacts your life every day.
0: And I'm James Norton, former Homeland Security official in the George W. Bush administration.
1: And I'm Dina Graziano, former communications director for the committees on Homeland Security and Judiciary.
0: And we're eager to get some listener questions focused on immigration this week. First up, we're going to hear from Andrew from Boston. Can you talk about the Trump administration's about face on the separation of children from their families at the border? Why was the policy enacted to begin with? And why is reunification taking so long?
1: Well, obviously, it's very hard to explain anything that the Trump administration does these days. Um, frankly, um, I would I would call it politics there. They were very concerned about uh, the backlash they were hearing all over the country and, frankly, all over the world about, you know, removing kids from their parents at the border to set the tone or, um, I, don't, I don't know, what was the word that um, Sessions used as a, I think were as a deterrent, right, yeah. which um, is, is shocking and appalling. Um, but I think they saw the pressure mounting from Republicans and Democrats and the world and the press, and they realized that this was not uh, going the way they thought. Uh, while they energized their base, um, I think they angered and... Um, you know, frightened the country as a whole. Um, James, do you see it as a different, a different way?
0: I mean, I think I think the danger here is, you know, we need to be able to believe what we're hearing from our elected officials, from our appointed officials, and I think Homeland Security, HHS, a number of other government officials were very unclear in terms of what was happening and why it was happening. Um, you know, there was—is it a law? Is it a policy?
1: Can Congress change it? Can I change it at the administration level? You know, they're being kind
0: of forced to do this. (laughs) And I think it did a lot of damage, credibility wise, um, to the leadership and kind of the trust factor of DHS and HHS. Um, You know, there's still thousands of kids that have not been reunited. There's court cases, you know, it seems like every minute now about trying to get reunification done. You know, you mentioned, Dina, about. This potentially being a deterrent from stopping migrants from coming across um, the border. And what we're talking about really is Central American Mm -hmm. um, families, uh, individuals uh, that have been coming across and then seeking asylum once they get here. Fleeing
1: extreme violence from their home countries. Right. Right. And this is the message we're sending them.
0: Yeah. So that's, I mean, (laughs) this, this this continues to be a huge problem while they've rescinded the You know, separation policy, there still doesn't mean there isn't going to be a detention policy in terms of just putting families together. So that's um,
1: I think this has exposed a lot of um, issues within everyone's districts. Um, It hits home. It's not it's not just an immigration issue. It's a family issue. Right. And I think um, it's an American issue. And while many people feel that we need stronger immigration controls, ripping children from their parents is not something I, I believe most Americans Support.
0: Yeah, the support wasn't there for sure. Not at I mean, you all. You had almost all Republicans in the House and Senate for the most part saying this, this is not good. And, and the same on the Democrats side. There was definitely in the legislative branch. We don't see them coming together very often, but they were certainly pretty united in this in terms of not having this policy, which which is great. But at the same time, it's like, come on, let's let's get something done on immigration. Yeah. I
1: heard Vice President Pence talking about their concerns about uh, verifying that they're actually going back to their parents mm-hmm. and not to uh, someone who could Potentially endanger them, yep. um, but there still seems to be no system in place to do so, either reunify or verify how to get these children and parents back together.
0: Well, and I think that's part of the question, right? Why why is it so hard to get them back together? And I think I don't. It it appears that this wasn't a very well thought out policy, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, and it was just kind of enacted. It's very similar to the to the travel the ban, ban that exactly. we saw that was kind of just pushed out there mm-hmm. and. You know, I know a lot of people want to blame the operators in the field, but this is really an issue where it comes down to leadership of the departments of the White House, and you know, these a lot of these things take a lot of training and requirements and thinking through or whatever. And so, clearly, it was a another colossal kind of nightmare scenario.
1: I think that brings us to our next caller. Uh, we have another question from Jeremy in Chicago.
0: Some Democrats have talked about abolishing ICE. What would be the impact? On immigration policies and how would that logistically work? You know, I think the abolish ICE movement is clearly a reaction to, you know, the, the failed separation of family policy and then, you know, obvious frustration with immigration overall. Um, I just don't think it's practical to have an abolish ICE. I think that we still need to have some sort of immigration enforcement. Um, how that immigration enforcement is doled out, I think, Um, needs to be directed clearly by leadership. There are, you know, as much as we talk about these migrant families and giving them safe harbor and finding a place for people that want to do good here, I think there still is an element that um, does require some enforcement and some laws and to have that kind of interior enforcement in place. Because without ICE, we essentially don't have any any law enforcement in place for for immigration.
1: I agree. Um, You know, as someone who was uh, on the Homeland Security Committee when— ICE was stood up and, you know, looking at the reasons why it was initially stood up. I think um, I don't want to say ICE has lost its way, but I think that the lack of clear direction and our and a lack of clear immigration policy for the country kind of puts ICE in the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. And like you had said before, uh, the direction comes from the top right. and the direction is very unclear and the laws are very unclear and they're, frankly, very inconsistent. So I think it, it's critical for Congress to, to find a way to clarify the laws on the books and, frankly, where, where they would like to go as far as immigration in the future. Because um, simply getting rid of an agency, it, it's not going to solve the problem. And, frankly, in some ways it may even make us less secure. Right. So um, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence as a Democrat. You know, I agree with what a lot of the, the the politicians are saying on on the Democratic side, and I understand the fear right. and in this, especially in those communities. Um, but I think you know you don't want to penalize some of these men and women because they are just doing what they're told. Frankly, it's we need to change the leadership at the top, right, or clarify their direction. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think if you wanted to take the approach of reforming ICE mm-hmm. and making some tweaks to the to the policies or tweaks to how leadership is is pushed out, or you know, looking at funding, I mean, ICE historically is one of the least funded agencies at DHS. Um, you know, Border Patrol since 2003 is really the one that's gotten the majority of the funding. It really hasn't gone to the interior enforcement for, you know, a number of different reasons. But I think them saying abolishing ICE is just as, you know, um, far out there as, you know, Donald Trump saying we need to build a wall. I need a great big wall and, and that kind of stuff during his campaign and then coming in here and kind of seeing where we are. And he hasn't really built a wall yet, you know, but I think it's kind of two extremes and um I
1: also you know, don't think we should politicize the department right. with ICE in this way. Obviously it is an election year. We have election year politics at play. We have obviously egregious issues going on at the border mm-hmm. that need to be addressed. But um
0: Yeah and I think I think again another myth of ICE I think is ICE is a relatively small agency. There really aren't that many law enforcement officers you know it's in the few thousands i think of actual law enforcement compared to the 25,000 border patrol agent you're talking about 4 or 5,000 ice and um, again that's an approximation it's not correct but for sake of argument if you were going to go down the path of abolishing ice you know the only only way you could do that is to somehow deputize state and local law enforcement to to take on that immigration mission but the way the country is right now state and local law enforcement has no authority on immigration policy they don't have any arrest authority they don't have any ties into the immigration system so unless they were somehow deputized or brought into the system which currently they're not you know kind of would leave us with nothing which which i think most people wouldn't wouldn't be in favor of. It Would
1: also lack <laughs> consistency, depending on where yep. where that you know state and law and local law enforcement you know, right. office was. Correct. And how they felt about immigration. You'd have red and blue th- state law. Yeah, yeah, I think you. Know, you yeah. I think you. We can't. We can't leave that type of mission up to state and locals. Um, one training resources, right. um, and again, a lack of a clear immigration and enforcement policy. Yep. I think um, we would uh, see a lot more of what we're seeing at the border now in some of those red states, which would be. The highly concerning
0: which would be problematic no absolutely I think that's I think it continues to be a challenge I think we're heading into the you know we're in the middle of the FY 19 budget season you, I've already kind of heard around the halls I'm sure you've too to about you know the funding debate for ice and I mean that could be another way they could abolish ice is just eliminate the funding or make it real troublesome for ice is to just you know push back against funding that they may or may not receive which is kind of what ha- what's happened with the wall
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know the power of the purse certainly uh, plays a big role here um, it's the only
1: thing that plays a role here right, lately
0: right so, and let's just take one last question from Max in Atlanta. Why do you think that uh, immigration legislation has just
1: collapsed among GOP lawmakers, and how do you think it's going to impact the midterm elections?
0: I mean, I think the I think the collapse on immigration legislation. I think we have to go back to 1986, and I think that's the last time we had immigration reform when we had our 40th president, Ronald Reagan. We're on our 45th now, but um, you know, a lot of times we're talking about the million and a half DACA people who are in this country. The reality is the number is about 14 million who are illegal in this country and, you know, how to manage that. And I think if you go with the premise of there's 14 million here, let's assume that 98% of them are are good people, but they've got a situation where illegal, you know, it comes down to how do you bring people out of the shadows? How do you bring them into the light and create a situation where they're a part of the system? And in our current immigration system, we really don't have a have a way to become legal, have a way to kind of have an on-ramp onto that immigration highway, if you will. And, you know, there's there's kind of two schools of thought. There's there's the, kind of the path to citizenship, um, or there's the path to legalization. Um, I think you'll probably find more agreement when it comes to path to legalization. Um, so you're not guaranteeing citizenship or any of that, but you're finding a way for people to become part of the system. And that could be, and this was talked about in 2007 during the immigration debate, was You know, maybe there's a fine that's paid. Maybe there's back taxes that are paid. There's different things that are paid, um, which sounds reasonable when you talk about it. But there are some some folks there that have some pretty strong opinions, um, you know, on the GOP side about that. What do you think?
1: I agree with everything you said, but I think we're back again to to election year politics. Mm -hmm. And um, we're trying to do a a very large, contentious piece of legislation months before the election um, after heated rhetoric, frankly, against most brown populations from our administration, um, people are up in arms. They see it as a way either to stay in, in charge. Um, you know, a lot of the Republicans, you know, are are for stronger immigration laws, strong border security, where they've made kind of Democrats look weak on border security, which is completely inaccurate. Um, and conflated those issues, which, again, is a problem. Um, but I think it's it's going to be held hostage to election year politics. People are going to look at what their base is saying, how up in arms, if they can use it as a way to win in November. And it, it's just it's too, too partisan and uh, too dense of an issue, I think, to get done uh, before November and to keep trying to jam it through. Um, the issues aren't changing, frankly, you know, and neither is the rhetoric on either side. Um,
0: well, don't you think that's kind of the myth that I feel like that we've been talking about in terms of rhetoric is we have spent a lot of money since 2003 on the border. Absolutely. We went from, you know, 8,000 border agents mm-hmm. to 25,000 border agents. We've probably... We,
1: Technology, a wall, there yeah, is a wall. There is a wall, For people actually, that don't know, there's actually right. a wall on the border. There's
0: about a thousand miles of mm-hmm. wall and barriers and fence and those kind of things. That was, you know, Bush and Obama for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um but, but what are Democrats going to do? You know, um, there obviously was the big election in, in the Bronx, and, you know, that candidate won with a pretty strong platform, one of them being abolish ICE. Um, let's assume that Democrats pick up a bunch of seats, but they're more on the the Bernie Sanders side of the party. Rather than, I mean, we, let's just say Hillary Clinton, from the most part, is a moderate, but let's say, you know, Bernie kind of represents the left and still has a, a pretty big following, and she is, is she is part of that i mean what are democrats going to do or are we still going to be in the same situation if you have a bunch of abolish ice new members of congress right in the now in the house are we going to still having the same conversation six months from now
1: i don't i you know i think that was an amazing race um she ran an amazing campaign but i think if you look at the democratic party and frankly the the, the house as a whole it's made up of, of a bunch of old people let's be real <laughs> yep. it, it it's not a representation of America I think these young people they want to have a voice and they look at the makeup of Congress and they don't see people that look like them and they don't see people that look like their districts while uh, many of these uh, legislators have done great things for their districts
0: but where where's that where I think everyone
1: that? needs to be looking at their seat very carefully sure. and reevaluating their districts and their districts priorities
0: but where's that uh Bill Belichick, do your job mantra that I think the voters want from their members, right? Do your job, you know, whatever that might be.
1: And, and we saw this uh, specifically with some of the senior members uh, the, during the last election. If you look at Eric Cantor mm-hmm. people um, and, and some other uh, chairman or high level members who had been there for years, were very established, um, had very large positions in Washington, positions of power. But they had forgotten their districts. Um, but I, I, I really believe that everyone kind of was sleeping. And America was sleeping for a long time because everything was just going pretty smoothly. You thought about the economy. But, we, were, but we've
0: talked about immigration, though. I mean, we've had immigration conversations in 2007, 2013, 2016, 2017. You know I
1: mean? But it's just noise. Yeah. You know, I mean, I worked on the Judiciary Committee for six years. I think I could have recycled the same press release for <laughs> six years. Yeah. Because there was nothing moving, you know, on a lot of those partisan issues and a lot of, frankly, social issues, guns, choice, immigration. Yep. You could, you know, we haven't moved the needle on those in years. And, um, you know, that might bring us to a new conversation with the court changes. But um, I think people. Well, does
0: people that, OK. But then that's how you get Donald Trump elected, right, because of the, the failure of Washington to do anything. And so does that mean Democrats are going to nominate, you know, Mark Zuckerberg? As opposed to a, a politician. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he's the right the person, rock. but I'm there's saying- There's The Rock and there's, there's Kanye, but yeah, I don't Con- know what, what side he's yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, so. he, might be, he might be the next, he might be replacing Pence, I, so I don't know the ticket, I don't know. But, you know, it just, it just seems like if Democrats won't be able to nominate a, a true politician if, if they continue to either not have solutions, you know, whether it's immigration, I mean, Republicans obviously are, are kind of stuck in the mud too, but, you know, how are you going to get to that next person and then eventually solve this, you know, immigration crisis, even solve part of it- not even the whole thing, right? Just kind of chip away at it a little bit. There's not I even, wish I knew even do that. I, yeah. I wish
1: I knew. Yeah. It's, it's extremely frustrating as a Democrat right now, and I'm sure as a Republican, it's frustrating for you because the party that you are a part of is no longer that party. And I look at my party and we're fairly stale and we lack messaging and we lack discipline in messaging. And we, that's been you know our mantra for years. And our message now is, you know, now it's abolish ice. A couple you know weeks ago it was, you know, we're not Donald Trump. Sure. But what is that, what, what does the Democratic Party stand for today and what does the Republican Party stand for today? And I think um, we need to go back to those core values and figure out if they still make sense or do we have a whole bunch of independents?
0: I, I, yeah, right. I think, that's a great, I think that's a great analysis and I think that's part of it. There's a lot of independents. There's not a lot of steady core values mm-hmm. in terms of either party, in terms of what mm-hmm. they do believe. It's very of the moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but at the same time, we're kind of left with, you know, massive debt. No issues in immigration, kind of these awful stories on TV, kind of we don't know what's a policy, what's a law, what's a whatever. And, you know, you kind of lose trust in the system, which which isn't a good thing. So,
1: no. It's not.
0: So that's it for this show. Thanks so much for your questions and for listening to the Homeland Homeroom.
1: Our next episode will be focused on transportation security. So many of us are traveling this summer for weddings, family reunions and vacations. How can we secure ourselves when we travel by plane, train or car?
0: Well, I'm looking forward to that discussion. There's certainly a lot to talk about when it comes to transportation security and and what's secure and what's unsecure. Um, Don't forget to email info at homelandhomeroom.com about security and transportation, and you can follow us on Twitter at HomelandPod and leave us a review on iTunes.
1: Homeland Homeroom is produced by 90 West. Our producer is Emma Jean Weinstein. We recorded the show at Monitor Studios in Washington, D.C.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone.